Take your Bibles, please, and turn to John's Gospel. John chapter 11, we're going to move from there into John chapter 12. I want to give you an assignment for this week. Let me encourage you to read on your own at some point. John's Gospel beginning with chapter 12 through John chapter 20. That will give you the accounts of the last week of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you'll do John chapter 20 before you come to sunrise service, you will recognize that he was risen just like he said. So your assignment for this week is to read John 12 through 20. Now that's nine chapters. So if you read John 12 and 13 today, then that's one a day culminating with John 20 next Sunday. All right? That will bring us all together. There are significant events in all of our lives. They may be anniversaries. They may be birthdays. They may be family celebrations. For a few of you in this worship center, a significant event was November the 26th, 2011. That was the last time Michigan beat Ohio State in football. (laughs) But we as a country have significant events, don't we? July 4th, 1776. December 7th, 1941. September 11th, 2001. Significant offense that unite us together because we have those events in common. There was no greater significant event to the nation Israel than the celebration of Passover. It was an event that changed everything. In their lives. F. Lagard Smith, in his book, Narrated Bible in Chronological Order, says this No Jewish feast is more important to the people, and no feast could be more appropriate for the culmination of Jesus' life and ministry than the Passover. Passover comes at the beginning of the Feast of Unleavened Bread which lasts for seven days. It commemorates the exodus of the people of ancient Israel from their captivity in Egypt. On the Passover, the Paschal Lamb is slain, just as it was at the beginning of the exodus, at which time its blood was sprinkled over the doors of the Israelites. When death passed over Egypt, and the firstborn of each household was killed, God spared only those households whose doors were covered by the blood. As the perfect Lamb of God, Jesus himself is about to be slain for the salvation of all who would recognize and accept the power in his blood. Passover. The celebration of what God had done for a nation, Israel. Now, history is important. It's important to us in our country, but it was even more important to the Israelites. So let me very quickly give you the history. In Genesis chapter 12, God called Abraham, 
called him to go into a land in which he would be shown, and God said, I'm going to make of you a great and mighty people. Abraham had two sons, Isaac and Ishmael. Isaac was the son of promise. Ishmael was not the son of promise. Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau. Jacob was the son of promise. Esau was not the son of promise. Jacob had 12 sons, the 11th of which, whose name was Joseph. And God used Joseph to take his people to Egypt. And the scripture says that there were 66 persons that arrived in Egypt. Now we move into the book of Exodus. And in Exodus, we discover very quickly that Joseph dies. Israel has increased and grown, and God has blessed them so that he has multiplied them. And they are a mighty nation in Egypt. But there arises a king that does not remember Joseph. And as God has them there, God protects his people. And they are going to be in Egypt for 430 years. But God remembers them. And he uses Moses. Moses, who is born, becomes prominent, for he was brought out of water. He was drawn out of water, and Pharaoh's daughter brings him in among the leadership of Egypt. But Moses one day is observing an Israelite who is being menaced by an Egyptian. And he looks around, and Moses kills the Egyptian. After that, Pharaoh wants to kill Moses, and Moses flees. And he goes to the backside of the wilderness. And we discover that Moses is in Midian. And it's there that the Scripture tells us that God remembers his covenant with Israel. And he sends Moses back to Egypt to tell Pharaoh to let the people go. God then uses ten plagues. Ten plagues, the tenth of which is the Passover. And that is where the lamb had to be slain and the blood needed to be applied because as the death angel passed through the land, the firstborn of every household was going to die. And the scripture says that when that death angel saw the blood, he passed over. And those who had applied the blood were saved. And God delivered his people from Egypt. Now, I told you that there were 66 people who arrived in Egypt. There are now... 660,000 men who are of military age. That's 20 and above. And so there are somewhere between 2.4 and 3 million people whom God is going 
to deliver from Egypt. As God delivers his people, God says, I want you to remember. I want the Passover to be a statute to you. An annual reminder of what I have done in your lives. Don't forget the God who has delivered you. We have reminders, do we not? Every month we celebrate the Lord's table. Remembering the given body and the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we do that in remembrance of him. But we also do it so we won't forget. I don't know about you, but God gave me a good forgetter. I keep reminding Connie of that when I have forgotten to do something she's asked me to do. Sorry, babe, God just gave me a good forgetter. We cannot forget who our God is. Because he is a great God. And God wanted his people to annually remember. In fact, God says, all the congregation of Israel shall keep this day. I think it's important for us to understand that this was in 1290 B.C. There are some commentators that would date it a little bit earlier, maybe even as early as 1440 B.C., 150 years difference. But nonetheless, for almost 1,300 years, they have been keeping this celebration. Every year, they have been remembering what God had done in their lives. And it was that event that transformed Israel into a people of God. Remember we talked about Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Now we have a whole nation from 66 people to over 2 million people. And as God led them toward the promised land, the people understood the presence of their God. Pillar of cloud by day, pillar of fire by night. They understood the power of God as their shoes did not wear out, as he supplied for them the manna and the quail. They understood the purpose of God. They understood the principles of God as God gave him the law. Remember the Ten Commandments? And they understood the plan of God to call unto himself a people of his own. You see, it was that Passover that changed everything in their lives. You know what has changed everything in our lives? The day we came to Christ. Now, we celebrate the sacrifice of the Lamb of God, right? And that was when God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But we personally recognize the appropriation of that sacrifice when we receive Jesus Christ as personal Savior, and we should never get over that. Never get beyond that. Remember it. Remember the day you were saved? Does it make a difference in your life? Do you get choked up when you think about that beautiful name? The name of Jesus. 
Christ our King. What a beautiful name it is. Nothing compares with him. The name of Jesus Christ our Lord. So that brings us to our text. In John chapter 11, there are a lot of things that happened. We find the resurrection of Lazarus. And Jesus declared that he was indeed the resurrection and life. He that cometh to him, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Amen? Woo! Lazarus, come forth! Even though he'd been dead for four days. And he came forth. Well, that put into motion the chief priests and the scribes and the Pharisees said, man, this guy's got something going. The people are following. No wonder the people were following him. It happened in Bethany, which is only about two miles away from Jerusalem. And so all of a sudden, the chief priests and the Pharisees Conspired to kill Jesus. Verse 53 of chapter 11. Look at it. So from that day on, they made plans to put Jesus to death. <laughs> Things are going to gear up pretty quickly. Now, the next passage tells us that Jesus no longer walked among them. He and his disciples went off to a reason, region, a region in the wilderness called Ephraim. Now, Ephraim is some 18 miles away. It's a region we really don't know where Jesus went in that location. But, but he separates himself from Bethany, two miles from Jerusalem, from Jerusalem itself, where he is going to offer himself as a sacrifice. But even though Jesus does that, there's something that's going to bring him back. Look with me at verse 53 of chapter 11. Do you have it? Now the Passover. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand. And many went up from the country to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. And they were looking for Jesus. And saying to one another as they stood in the temple, what do you think? Do you think that he will come to the feast at all? Now, the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders. Anybody sees Jesus, let us know. Why? Because they wanted to put him to death. And that's all in chapter 11. Now, Jesus makes his way to Jerusalem, and in chapter 12, verse 1, we discover a time frame that says it's six days before the Passover. And during those verses in chapter 12, we discover some neat things are going to happen. Jesus is invited to a dinner, and you know where it is? It's at Mary and Martha and Lazarus' home. Can you imagine the memorial celebration of someone who was raised from the dead and the stories that were being told around those tables? And at that point, Mary takes some very expensive ointment Breaks it and anoints Jesus 
And Judas Iscariot enters the picture. And Judas says, hey, boy, what a waste. We could have taken that and we could have sold it and we could have done so much more for the poor. I wonder if Jesus or if Judas just didn't want to finance rebellion someplace. Jesus says, let her alone. She's anointed me for my burial. Now, that should not have surprised his disciples. Because three times Jesus has said, I'm going to Jerusalem. And once I get to Jerusalem, I'm going to be delivered to the chief priests and Pharisees. I'm going to be condemned to death. Death at the hand of the Gentiles, the Roman government. I'm going to be mocked. I'm going to be flogged. I'm going to be crucified. And as Mary anoints Jesus, she anoints him for his death. Verse 9. When the crowd of Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came. Wow, yeah. Uh-huh. We now know the answer to our question. Is Jesus going to show up? Yep. Jesus is going to show up. Not only account on him, but on account of Lazarus. Lazarus, who was raised from the dead, and the chief priests and, and, and scribes say, man, we better get rid of Lazarus too. And so in verse 10, we discover that the chief priests make plans to put Lazarus to death. Because not only were they believing on Jesus, the Jews were believing on Jesus because of Lazarus. I wonder if they'd have been able to accomplish that if Jesus wouldn't have raised him again. I don't know. But that's where we are. In verse 12, the next day the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. Just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had be done to him. Palm Sunday. Now, as you read the gospel accounts, each one tells the life of Jesus from a different perspective. Matthew, Jesus is the king. Mark, Jesus is the servant. Luke, Jesus is the perfect man. And John, Jesus is the son of God. There are only a few events that each of these, that all of these, only a few events that all of these gospels share. There's only 10 of them. One is the Galilean ministry that Jesus had. The second is the feeding of the 5,000 that's found in all four Gospels. 
And then from this time forward, there are eight events that are found in all of the Gospels. And one of those is this entrance into Jerusalem. And the next day, a large crowd gathers. We have something in our society that we call a flash mob. I don't know if you've heard of that or not. There is an announcement that goes out on social media and everybody meets someplace to do something. Now, I don't know whether this was a flash mob or not. But I wonder how all those people got the, got the message to show up for the parade. Last July 4th, Connie and I attended the Newton Township Grange Parade. Any of you ever been there besides the Lindsleys? So you didn't even know about it, did you? It's a neat little parade. In fact, Max, in fact, Matt Saxton, who is the Calhoun County Sheriff, is in that parade, and he says it's his favorite. So if you're looking for a neat parade next July 4th, the Newton Township Grange Parade. Most of you don't even know where Newton is. But the only way we knew about it, somebody told us. The only way people knew about it here is somebody had to get the message out. And they gathered. And here comes Jesus. Think about that. They're there for the Passover. And they get the message that, yeah, Jesus did show up. He did come. And he's coming this way. You can see him. And he comes in on a colt. And what do they cry? Hosanna. I want to stop right there. We sang this morning, Hosanna. And we defined Hosanna. You are the God who saves us. That's what Hosanna means. Save us. And it comes from the context that someone is trying to injure you and you can't do anything about it. You might illustrate it like somebody is trying to throw dynamite at you and blow you up. And you need somebody to save you. Because you can't do anything about it. I remind you that the Jews are living under Roman occupation. They can't do anything about it. They've been there since the time that Jesus was born. And Jesus comes riding by and says, save us! Hosanna, save us! We need you! Save us! I, I, I want you to get the understanding that this is not just a parade saying that's a nice tractor going by. This is not just picking up the candy that they're throwing from the floats. This is a people who are under occupation that have absolutely no control of their circumstances. 
And they know of Jesus, and he comes by and says, save us, save us, Jesus. And how do they identify him? Save us, Jesus, John's gospel, king of the Jews. I think it interesting, that's what Pilate wrote, wasn't it? That's what they put on the cross, Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews. And the chief priests and Pharisees said, don't write that. Right, he said he was. And Pilate said, I've written what I've written. King of the Jews. Save us! Now, all of that brings us up to what we need to understand this morning. First of all, we need to understand who Jesus was. Who was this individual that the crowd cried out to, save us, Hosanna. We need to understand why he came. And then we need to know, what's that mean? So what? How do we apply that to our lives? So very quickly, let me remind you of some truth. Why did he come? Well, if you will look at the gospel presentations of Palm Sunday, you will understand who he was. And each of the gospel writers gives to us a little different understanding. In Matthew's gospel, he is identified as the son of David. The prophet Jesus of Nazareth. In Luke's gospel, it says, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I'm sorry, Mark's gospel. In Luke's gospel, he's identified as the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And it's John's gospel that identifies him as the king of the Jews. Now, if you read the gospel account... There are some 45 different names that are used to identify Jesus. He's called the babe. He's called the bread. He's called the bridegroom. You know the I am's. Bread of life, light of the world, door, good shepherd, resurrection, way, truth, life, true vine. He's called the man. The master, the Messiah, called the living word. John, in John chapter 1, says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. And the word was God. Mark begins, or Matthew chapter 1 tells us that he is Emmanuel, God with us. And Joseph is told that you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And Mark begins his gospel this way. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Underline that in your minds, please, because that is the most important title of Jesus. He is indeed the Son of God. In fact, time and time again in the gospel, 
we see that Jesus is the Son of God. May I remind you of a few? John chapter 1, verse 34, it's John who bears witness to the fact that he is the Son of God. Verse 49 of the same chapter, Nathanael says, you are the Son of God. Matthew chapter 8, the demons say, ah, this was the Son of God. Matthew chapter 14, the disciples Say, truly, this was the Son of God. Martha says in John chapter 11, I believe that you are the Son of God. And at his crucifixion, the centurion says, yes, this was the Son of God. Now, there are those who tried to destroy that and tried to discount it. At his temptation, Satan says, if you're the Son of God, do this. At the cross, the crowd said, if you're the son of God, bring yourself down off the cross. And the chief priests and Pharisees said, if you're really the son of God. <laughs> you see, the, the deal is, if you can discount the truth that he is the son of God, you've discounted his whole life. Nothing else matters. And the reality is, if he was not the son of God, it all falls apart. In fact, John puts it this way in John chapter 20, verse 31. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that believing you might have life in his name. Josh McDowell in his book, Evidence That Demands a Verdict, gives three possibilities concerning the life of Jesus. Jesus could be the Lord, which means he was who he said he was. Amen? Jesus could have been a liar which means he knew he wasn't who he said he was. Or he could have been a lunatic. He only thought he was who he thought he was. Those are the only three possibilities. I want you to keep those in the back of your mind for just a moment. Because it's important for us to not only know who was this king of the Jews, but to know why he came. You remember the Hosanna? To save us? Deliver us, Lord? So why did he come? John 1 says that he came to show us the Father. He came to show us the Father full of grace, full of truth. John 10 says that he came to give us life and to give us life more abundantly. And there is nothing better than being a son of God. Amen? A daughter of God. Being part of the family of God. Amen? Do you believe that? Will you nod your head at least? Nothing better. Luke's gospel tells us that he came to seek and to save the lost. Mark 10 says, 
He came not to be served, but to give his life a ransom for many. And in John chapter 18, as he stood before Pilate, Jesus said, I came to bear witness of the truth. Why did he come? He came as John identified to be the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. Remember Passover? Remember History Matters? Remember the blood that was applied and the death angel was saved? You remember how God took his people out of bondage and showed himself to them, establishing them as a, a great and mighty people under his authority? Remember all that? That's why Jesus came, so that you and I could know God and have a relationship with God and allow God to be the authority of our lives. Don't miss that truth on Palm Sunday moving into Good Friday and Resurrection. So what do we do with that? What's that mean to me? Remember we said Josh McDowell indicated three different possibilities? He's Lord. He's who he said he was. He's a liar. He knew he wasn't who he said he was. Or he's a lunatic. He only thought who he was who he said he was. I submit to you this morning that he is Lord. Jesus Christ was exactly who he said he was. And he came to accomplish what he came to accomplish. And to give his life a ransom for many as the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. Amen? Hosanna! Save us! We're under condemnation. We can do nothing about it. And only you, Jesus, can deliver us. Hosanna to the King of Israel, the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen? Now, if Jesus is Lord, you and I, have some choices. We can either receive that truth or we can reject that truth. We can either go all in and live it out in our lives or not. But do you remember what Jesus said was the greatest commandment? Yeah. Love the Lord your God with all stop there, stop there. All? Somebody said all means all, that's all. All your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the Lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world. Amen. And as we begin our celebration of the events that will change everything in history, 
let us understand that on that Passover entrance into the city, five days before the Passover, the crowd received him and said, Hosanna. May I remind you how fickle the crowd was? A few days later, what were they crying? Maybe that illustrates how fickle we are. For 1,300 years, the people had celebrated the Passover, an annual remembrance of what God had done in their lives. May you and I celebrate the wonder of what God has done in our lives as Lord of our lives. Your assignment this week, read John's gospel, beginning with chapter 12 through chapter 20, and remind yourself of the preparation toward the cross and then the resurrection of Jesus Christ.